Hey, how y'all doing tonight? Yeah. It's good to see everybody. Hey, if you'll grab your Bibles, turn to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Verses 2 through 10 is what we're going to be going through tonight. If you have your Bible, turn there. If you don't, I encourage you, we will use a Bible every single week. Every single week we will use it. So, if you got one, bring it. If you don't have a Bible, let us know. We will get you a Bible. Anyone ever heard of a bandwagon fan? I'm assuming that a lot of you guys are, or were Warrior bandwagon fans, but, or now you're Laker bandwagon fans. So going into my junior year of college, I transferred to Ozark Christian College in Joplin, Missouri. And I transferred in the year that the Kansas City Royals, the baseball team, got really good. And some of you guys maybe be bandwagon Royal fans. Probably not anymore because they're not very good right now. But in that year I transferred, I'm making up my dorm room. I'm, I'm making it nice. Got my Cardinal, you guys know I'm a Cardinal fan. I got my cardinal pennants, my posters in my room. I'm making my room look nice, and I'm not going around and just shoving my fanhood down everybody's throat. I'm just putting stuff up in my room. Well, October comes, you know, that time comes for the World Series, and the Royals are finally in the World Series. And I hadn't really ever interacted with Royals fans on my side where I grew up. But all of a sudden, these Royals fans started coming by my dorm room. They, they'd look in, they'd look at, my walls, and they'd look at me and say, hey, where's the Cardinals at? Oh, yeah, they're sitting at home, huh? Guess where the Royals are? They're in the World Series, and they started talking smack. And at that point, I knew that these weren't real Royals fans. That I looked at them, and I could tell that they had just got back from Walmart with their new Royals gear that they bring out during the World Series and everything, that they had not been following the Royals in the regular season or any of the years beyond that, that they had just started their fanhood in the postseason. And I'm looking, I'm like, what? how are you talking trash if you're not even really a baseball fan and you're just this bandwagon Royals fan? Like, I'm not trying to, trying to talk to smack. But I, I, I started saying that the Cardinals had the second most World Series championships ever and, you know, was not about to let this Royals fan just start roasting me. But these these people that were never Royals fans, they were never baseball fans, they automatically, they just randomly started becoming these big Royals fans, these big baseball fans. And it was like, man, where did this come from? But what happened was they saw the Royals were good, and they were from Missouri, from Kansas City, so they're like, I'm going to jump on board now and be all in. Right? The thing that changed how they went about their day-to-day life during October was that the Royals became good, and that changed what they wore, what they talked about, what they watched. There's a lot of things in this world that are trying to change you. There's a lot of things that students are offering you at school for you to change. To pick up vaping, to look at pornography, to look at all these different things, to, to join in all of these things. There's a lot of things this culture are trying to change you by. But as Christians, we are not called to be changed by the culture. If you know the memory verse this month, that we are not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And how do we renew our minds? It's the gospel. That's how we are renewed. And 
I'm going to talk about the gospel a lot tonight. I'm going to say the word gospel quite a bit. And I want to make sure that we understand this term. The gospel is this beautiful story of how we were separated from God because of our sin. That we messed up and we were separated. But God loved us so much that even though while we were still sinners, he sent his son Jesus to live among us, to live a perfect life, to die on the cross for our sins, and to defeat death and resurrect three days later. He's now seated at the right hand of the Father. And because of Jesus' death, we are now able to be brought near to God by accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That's the gospel. It's this beautiful picture of being separated from God and being brought near because of what Jesus has done on the cross. The gospel is what is to change us, not this world, not a team, not an activity, not our giftings. It's the gospel. So we're going to go over three things tonight, three points. So if you're taking notes, I encourage you, if you want to take notes, I'm going to give you stuff that you can write down. But we're going to go over three points tonight of what First Thessalonians is calling us of how the gospel changes us. So if you'll pray with me, we'll pray over what God has, uh, is going to call us to. God, we thank you for your word that is living and active. God, I thank you for these students here tonight, and I, I, I pray the Lord, that they would dig into your word outside of Wednesdays, outside of Sundays, Lord, that they, you would create a desire for you within them. God, we love you. We thank you. We thank you that you speak to us today. God, would you speak to us tonight? Amen. The first point tonight is that the gospel calls our attention back to God. The gospel calls our attention back to God. Now, you guys have been out in the student hallway. You guys have been in the gym. Is it pretty noisy in there? Like, you, you can't really hear a conversation that's going on on this side of the gym if you're over on the other side of the gym. There's just so many things going on. Now, we are pretty good at tuning people out, right? We tune our parents out sometimes when they tell us to go clean the room. But there's always a thing, like, we, will, we can never tune out when our mom or dad is getting on to us. Like, when they bring out, like, the middle name, Dylan Jacob Bone, uh, you can't tune that out. That, got, that gets your attention, am I right? You don't act like you don't hear that because you know you are in deep doo-doo. Just like that, the go- how your parents, their voice calls your attention to them, the gospel calls our attention back to God. Because we can, can be consumed by the things of this world, yet... The gospel calls our attention back to him. We see in verses 2 and 3, it says this, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is, is giving thanks. He's praying to God, giving thanks for what the Thessalonians have done. Since he has left, the church has erupted. The Thessalonians are are following the gospel. They're telling people about Jesus. He's giving thanks to God for what they have done. He's remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope. And I think these are three key things for us to understand in this context of our attention being called back to God in the things that we do. The first one in that is our work being rooted in our faith. Right, it says work of faith, our work being rooted in our faith. We've heard many times 
that we're not saved by our works, right? We're, we're all familiar with Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 and 10, where it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. So we know that you are not saved by your works. You are not saved by the times, how many times you come to Sunday school. You are not saved by the times that you open a door for somebody. Right? It's not your works. It's by faith through grace of what Jesus has done. What the gospel is being brought, made near to God because of what Jesus did on the cross. That is what saves us. This idea of our work being rooted in faith because we were like, well, if works don't save us, then why do we do them? Why do we have to do all of these things? And verse 10 tells us, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That we are saved for good works works that God has called us to to do good works but it's not within our own strength right sometimes we're like well we just don't feel it I I just can't do it on my own but the beautiful thing is it's not your own strength that's doing those works that are doing those kind acts it's the overflow of your faith is the reason is the motor behind those good works Right When you look at the gospel, when you look that you are separated, but you are now brought near because of what Jesus has done, there's a thankfulness there, right? You're, you're very thankful for what Jesus has done. So you look to them, and you love Jesus for that. Therefore, you want to love others because of that. And those are the overflow of your faith is your works, right? You want to come to church. You want to go tell others about Jesus. You want to do good things for other people because of your love for Jesus, right? Your faith in Jesus. The same thing in verse 3, it says your labor of love. That your labor is not within itself that saves you. No, it's rooted in your love for Jesus, right? The student ministry, our, uh, our slogan is love God, love others, make disciples. That when you love God and you have a love for God, you are able to love others, right? Laboring, labor, when I think of the word labor, I think of like a big ox that's working really hard. Sometimes doing good things for other people, sometimes doing the right thing is not always easy. It's a labor. Sometimes we're outcasted by our friend groups. Sometimes we're helping somebody and we're sweating and it's hard and you don't want to be there. You'd rather go be playing video games with your friends, but you're stuck at this elderly woman's house and you're like, why do I have to keep moving this furniture? Laboring sometimes is hard. And you might, when you are just wanting to do it for yourself, sometimes you get burnt out on that. You're like, what's, what's even the point of this? But we got to remember the things that we're called to do, the good works, they're rooted in a love for Jesus. A love for Jesus is the reason that we do it, right? We love Jesus, therefore we love others, therefore we do good works. And this last idea is this steadfastness being rooted in hope. And this idea of steadfast is this idea of standing firm. This idea of standing firm. You guys have probably heard the term, uh, it's an uh, argument to die on a hill for. you got to pick your hills to die on. So, like, maybe I want to pick a hill to die on that Reese's is the best candy that has ever been made. That wouldn't be a very good hill to die on because a lot of you guys like other candies, and who really knows what the best candy is? But there's this wrong, it's, it's Reese's. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but our culture is telling us all these different things that we should be consumed by, that we should be identified, that we should stand on these hills and die on. But I'm telling you, 
that the only thing that you should be standing firm on is what God is calling you to do in Scripture. That when God calls you to do something, that you stand firm. Because when you don't stand firm on Scripture, on what God is calling you to do, you're going to be tossed by the winds and the waves of culture. It's going to happen. But when we stand firm on God's Word, we are obeying, we're giving Him honor and glory when we do that. Because if you haven't been, you may be offered to vape. Your friends may offer you to look at things on the web, on a website that are very inappropriate. You may be asked and offered to start talking bad about someone, to start using bad words. Those things are going to come your way if they have it. Whether you're homeschooled, private schooled, or you're in public school, those things will come. But that is why it's so important to be steadfast, to stand firm, right? All those other things, if you... Reese's, they fade away sometimes and make a bad batch. It's not always as good. Maybe you're steadfast and you're like, man, I love the Sooners or the Pokes so much. I'm going to stand firm on them. But sometimes they're going to have a bad game, right? It's not going to go well. But the awesome thing is when you're standing firm on Scripture, you're standing firm on, etern- on eternal things. Because it, you're, you're, when you stand on Scripture, when you are standing firm in the hope, it's a hope that doesn't disappoint like culture disappoints. It's a hope that doesn't disappoint because Romans 5 says that because what Jesus has done on the cross is finished. It can't change. He has won the war. And when we stand firm on that, we stand firm on eternal things and not temporary things. The second thing is this, that the gospel changes our identity. The gospel changes our identity. Verses 4 through 6 says this. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in the power and the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. The gospel changes our identity, right? It's not the world, it's the gospel. The world is wanting you to identify yourself by your giftings, by your talents. The world will identify you by what you don't have, what you're not good at, what group you are in, what group you are not in. There's a lot of things that this world wants to group and identify you as. And the crazy and the, the crazy thing is we buy into that, even though all of those things they're identifying us by are temporary. They're temporary. We may be good at a sport, and that's like, oh, you're an athlete, you're a basketball player, everything you got to do, you got to be centered around basketball. Well, one day, you're not going to be able to play basketball. So what kind of identity is that? Maybe it's that you're gifted in, in music. Well, one day you may lose your voice. If you are finding your identity in those things, you will never be satisfied. But the beautiful thing here, in verse 4, it says, for we know Brothers loved by God. He's addressing the Thessalonians. Brothers, sisters, loved by God. He also says, chosen. You are chosen. While this world is telling you, hey, I'll love you if you do this. You'll fit in if you do this. God says, no, I love you because of what Jesus has done for you. Right? That doesn't fade away. That won't go away when you're older. That is eternal. He says, I have chosen you. That before the foundations of the world, he chose you because he loves you. Those two things are eternal. 
That when we come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we get a whole new identity. And it's an identity that we can stand firm in because it will never change. It will never disappoint. And when we have this new identity, when we come to know Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And the Holy Spirit brings about a conviction inside of us, right? We're convicted of our sins sometimes. How many of you guys felt like you've been convicted of your sin at one point or another? I got two hands up, right? The Holy Spirit convicts me all the time. I I can be uh, a dingus a lot. I can mess up a lot. The Holy Spirit convicts me. But also, the Holy Spirit brings about convictions in our life, right? Convictions we want to stand strong on, right? When you're offered to vape, when you're offered to talk bad about someone, when you're offered to look at pornography, all these things that you can say no to because you're standing firm on what God has called you to be. He's called you to be pure and holy, right? Those are convictions we want to hold on to. The biggest conviction I had in middle school was I did not want to cuss or talk bad about people. That was a conviction that the Holy Spirit just gave me. And I was, I was firm on that because the Holy Spirit was giving me that desire. In, this, the, in verse 6, the last thing in this point is it says, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. That Paul is talking to the church of Thessalonians, that you became imitators of us. You became imitators of Jesus. That is what we want to be known by, right? Some of you guys feel like, I, I don't feel God. I don't feel close to God. Sometimes, I, I think we can all agree with that. Sometimes we just don't feel close to the Lord. We don't feel like we're being very good imitators. Well, I challenge you, the more you spend time with Jesus, the more you look like Jesus. It's called sanctification. The more you spend time with Jesus, the more you will end up looking like Jesus. The gospel gives us a new identity. When we spend time with the gospel, when we spend time with Jesus, it changes us. And the third point is this. The gospel causes us to evangelize. The gospel calls us to evangelize. Verse 7 says that, so you became, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. That Paul is saying, thank you Thessalonians, you became an example in your region all throughout Macedonia, all throughout Thessalonica. They knew that you were believers. Right? Verse 8 says, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia, this idea of sounded is like a loud beautiful trumpet sound. Have you guys ever been in a room where a trumpet has been blown? There's no mistaking that a trumpet is blowing. It is very loud, right? My question for you is this. If I were to go to your school, I would go to your friend groups and I would ask, hey, hey, uh, is Hayden Duncan a Christian? Is Piper McWilliams a Christian? Is Brady Davis a Christian? If I would go and ask your friends, your groups, if you were a Christian, would they say yes or would they say, I don't know? Because the gospel should change our life to where there's no mistaking that we are a believer, that the gospel has changes from the inside out, so that changes the way we talk to people, the way we treat people. There should be no mistake that we are believers in Jesus. No mistake. In verses 9 and 10, it says, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. And you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, who 
telling you guys, your testimony is strong. Saying people in Macedonia were, you know, the Thessalonians didn't even have to tell Paul what was going on because Paul was being told by the Macedonians, by the people in Thessalonica, of who the believers were. They were living their faith. People knew what they were about, and people were encouraged and came to know Jesus through the example they set for other believers. So tonight, as we close, there's two groups of you tonight, those who know Jesus and those who don't know Jesus. And for those who do know Jesus, some of you guys might be thinking, well, Dylan, I feel like my attention is all on myself. It's not on God. I feel like I'm not really grasping my identity in Jesus. I'm finding my identity in sports and my looks and the friend group that I'm in. Or that you feel like you just don't really talk about Jesus. That maybe your friends don't know that you're a believer. My encouragement to you would be to spend time with Jesus. Spend time in his word. Spend time praying. Because I'm telling you, when you spend time with him, you will get to know him and you will be changed by him. And for those who don't know Jesus tonight, you're in this room, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You feel like your identity is wrapped up in something that's temporary. And you feel like you're not satisfied, that you're just being tossed to and from friend group, from sin to sin, and you don't want that anymore. You're tired of it. Then as we split into small groups, tell your small group leader that you want to know Jesus, that you want to accept him as your Lord and Savior. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for your word that it's living and active. And God, I pray that you would cause a desire for us to spend time with you. And Lord, out of that would be the overflow of desiring to tell others about you. To, to really lean into our identity when other people are telling us to be identified by other things. God, I pray that our attention would be called back to you from these worldly things, from our sports, from our TVs, from our activities, our clubs. That God, that we would not be consumed by those but that Lord our attention would continually be called back to you because you are the most important thing in our life Lord thank you that is the power of the gospel that changes us and not our own Lord for those who don't know you tonight Lord I pray that they would take that step that they would accept you as Lord and Savior God we love you Amen